On our podcast today is Tosin Oduwale. He was born in St. Louis, Missouri and attended junior high and high school in Europe and Africa. After returning to the States, Tosin worked for his mother, running a number of family-owned nursing homes in the Midwest. In 2009, Tosin moved to New Jersey to expand and grow his own consulting firm with a focus in finance. In 2016, he ventured into the hospitality industry by acquiring a sports bar in Manhattan's East Village neighborhood, and then a second one a year later in Newark, New Jersey as a minority partner. As of June 1st, 2017, Tosin sits on the advisory board of the Tulsa Real Estate Fund, a Regulation A Tier 2 fund he co-founded that manages $50 million in funds per calendar year for the acquisition and development of large-scale commercial assets in several key urban markets nationwide. In June of this year, he was able to raise over $10 million in seven days through the fund on behalf of investors. He is also a community activist working in conjunction with nonprofit organizations to empower the less fortunate members of our community that live at or below the poverty line. So, Tosin, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us and talk with us today. We really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Can you share with us a little bit more? Obviously, that was a great introduction, great background on you, but kind of talk to us and kind of step us back from you know where you've been and where you are now and, and how you've kind of got to this point. It kind of goes back to, I guess, my, my parents. So my parents were both born in Nigeria and um, around the same time, they decided that they were going to come to the United States. Typically, most foreigners come here for you know, a better life, whether it's educational or uh, professional opportunities. And that's why they came here. They wanted to come here with the sole purpose of starting some kind of business or some type of enterprise. And so um, my dad came here when he was 17. Uh, my mom came a few years later, and she was, I think, uh, in her early 20s. And, you know, just from a young age, they kind of really imparted that entrepreneurship mm-hmm. into us as far as just finding a way to create some type of business or operation that would allow us to just be self-sustained. And so that's pretty much how you know, myself and, and my five brothers kind of got our, our start in the world. Well, that's really exciting to kind of hear that about your, your background and your story, how you've gone from where you were and from where you are now. Can you share with us through this journey? I'm sure that you've had, you know, a multitude of tough decisions. Can you share with us a tough decision that kind of sticks out in your mind as like a really, you know, tough decision that you made and it really didn't go so well? So not the glory, you know, really good, successful, tough decision that you made, but one that really didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. And and then that way we can kind of dive deep into that a little bit and talk about some of the lessons that you might have learned through that tough decision. So in 2016, I decided to take a new direction and hop into the sports bar business. So I never owned a sports bar before. I never had any real type of experience in the hospitality industry. An opportunity came to purchase a bar in Manhattan in New York called Durden Bar in the East Village. And I, I guess I was more kind of drawn to the allure being, you know, own a sports bar in New York City. What they were asking was an amount that I could easily afford. And so I said, you know what, let me just jump into this. Uh, what I didn't anticipate and what I didn't know is that the sports bar industry or the hospitality industry is kind of cyclical. So there's going to be certain parts of the year, or the season where business is good. And there's going to be certain parts of the year where business is bad. <laughs> you know, it just kind of really all, all depends on um, who your customers are and your demographic. And so with this particular bar, majority of our customers were NYU students. I believe NYU was about a mile away. So 85% of the, of the paying customers were students that went to the college. 
And so we purchased the bar in the beginning of the year in January, which is the beginning of the college semester. So we had like a great January, February, March, April. It was just wonderful. What I didn't anticipate is that towards the end of the semester, when they start to get into like their midterms and their finals, these Ivy League college students, do you know what they do that most college students don't do? They actually study. (laughs) (laughs) So so they don't go out as much. And so towards the end of the semester, I started seeing that, you know, I started losing money. Like I started losing money. Um, my overhead, as far as my rent for the actual building, stayed the same. My uh, cost of food and payroll for employees stayed the same. But my revenue was dropping significantly. And so one of the decisions that I had to make is that, you know, when the summer comes, when the summertime comes and there's nobody that's at school, what am I going to do? You know, am, am I going to come out of pocket to continue to pay all of my overhead and then just hope that, you know, when September comes and the fall semester comes that, you know, everything will go right back to how it was? Or do I get out while I can and just sell this thing while I'm still, I guess, somewhat in the black? And so that was a very tough decision for me because I, I decided to sell and I Ended up selling it in June 2016 after only having it for six months. And, you know, nobody really goes into a business hoping to only be into it for six months. You know, you go into business hoping that you're going to have years and years and years of like successful and profitable experiences. And so with that, I kind of felt as if, you know, I got beaten, (laughs) you know, I felt I had to kind of give up, even though I didn't totally end up in the red, I I kind of broke even, but I, I just felt like that, you know, I got beat, <laughs> you know, so that, that was definitely something that was a tough decision for me. And, and, and even to this day, I still want to find another opportunity to get back into the sports bar business so that I can do it just in a better way. Not near the Ivy League schools where you have people that actually study during those time, yeah. those exam times. Most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, we had a, a, a similar, you know, story of a of a gentleman who was in London, we interviewed him recently and he had a very similar thing where he opened up a sports bar. And I think he was very similar, like a you know, year, year and a half into it. He decided that he just really wasn't, you know, cash flowing like he expected it to. And so he ended up, I think either selling or shutting it down or something like that. It's definitely a different business and you have to make sure that you're mitigating all those different, you know, areas of risk, but also understanding where, you know, your customers are, because that's where you really need to focus when you're in that kind of an industry. So where is most of your concentration now? Is it more in the real estate now, the real estate fund? Yeah. So I'm more of in in the real estate and and the asset management space right now. It's definitely been uh, extremely lucrative for me and and my team. And so I'm kind of uh, just doubling down on what uh, I've been able to do very well. Can you share with us a tough decision that you've had in that particular business that you have? Oh, yes, of course. So I would say right now, one of the biggest issues that I think any fund manager has to deal with is that when you do roll out your fund, how do you get investors to trust you, trust your team, and just trust that, you know, they're parking their money in the right space? You know, we've had a lot of issues when it comes to like, you know, the Bernie Madoffs of the world and, you know, all these people that take advantage of this position and just do something that's wrong. And so being that we were, you know, don't necessarily have a lot of experience in the fun space, but wanted to kind of jump out and and make ourselves known and announce ourselves to the world, we tried to figure out like, how can we do this in a way that's going to make people feel comfortable with who they're parking their money with? 
it was very tough and, and very, very hard for us to kind of figure out the most transparent way that we could do this. And so sometimes it meant kind of, you know, overextending ourselves and just kind of letting our investors and general sphere of influence know some things about us that they don't necessarily need to know, you know, and just to kind of gain that trust and just garner that type of um, comfortability. And so, yeah, I think it was <laughs> very, very difficult for that. You know, some of our team members have uh, a past that aren't that great, you know, going back to when they were, you know, in their teenage years or early 20s. And we just felt that it would be a, a good idea, a great idea, a very transparent way of just kind of giving people our entire world background before telling them to park our money with us. And it, it seemed to work out very well. Well, you have to make sure that you understand that when people invest money, they want to invest with people that they know and like and trust, and they have confidence in you. And that's one of the best ways to do that is through storytelling and telling the story behind who you are. And, you know, I have, you know, I do some real estate on some multifamily, you know, syndications myself, not in a fund per se, but in, you know, in each deal, we'll bring in multiple investors on one deal for a, you know, a large apartment complex, 100 plus units or whatever. And I remember talking to an investor when we first got started and he said, well, I'm a little bit hesitant to do it, to put any money with you because, you know, the last time I did this and I was like the last time it wasn't with us, it was with somebody else. He said, the last time I did this, I put money into a deal and come to find out the deal went south and there was not even a property on site. You know, I'm like, well, I'll tell you right now that we make sure that there's definitely a property on site whenever we're trying to, you know, take down a deal. You know, we're not just trying to put together a fake deal just to, you know, bring in investor money or anything. But I can imagine in the in the real estate fund space where you don't necessarily have that asset yet that you're going to be purchasing. You know, sometimes you do, but not always. But you're, you have this actual real estate fund that you can actually buy and sell and acquire and develop these different commercial assets. That can be a little bit tricky as well for investors to want to be able to, you know, park their money with you. Most definitely. So, yeah, I, I think that was kind of the reason why we decided to go the Regulation A SEC route, because it involves a, a government regulatory organization. It would just make people feel more comfortable if they know that, OK, you know, the, these guys are being heavily watched by, you know, uh, <laughs> the SEC who, who would shut everything down if there was anything that was looking kind of out of the ordinary. And so we just wanted to be as transparent as possible and let people know that, hey, we have the best intentions and we are going to do whatever we can to make some money for you guys. <laughs> you know, so. so Tosin, tell us a little bit about your strategy for making tough decisions. You know, you've, you've had some experience in several different areas now. So how do you approach those tough decisions? Do you have one particular strategy that you've used multiple times that seems to work for you? Or how do you make those decisions? I always try to use the opportunity cost perspective. You know, um, I think there's a million ways that you can handle a situation. And so I try to examine each one of those opportunities and what, you know, results it could yield me. And so that, that's typically the uh, mental process, the mental strategy that, that I go down. If I do X, Y, Z, what could that mean for me? What is, are the pros and the cons? And I'll just do that for every idea for every choice I'm considering making. And then, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you just have to pull the trigger because, you know, you want to always make the right decision. I think that uh, action kind of beats uh, thinking it out so much and just overthinking. So, you know, I'll, I'll spend some time just, you know, figuring out what the opportunity cost is and then just to pull the trigger and execute and see what happens. 
at some point you do just have to, you have to do something, right? And uh, just go with it and then and adjust from there. What's a book that you would recommend to our listeners that maybe has helped you in your decision making or change the way that you approach your business? Yes, most definitely. So there is a book uh, by Robert Greene. It's called The 50th Law. A lot of people may be familiar with his previous book called The 48 Laws of Power. So uh, this particular uh, book is called The 50th Law. It focuses on fear, on how fear can either help or hurt you, how to recognize what fear is when you're feeling it. Because a lot of people don't necessarily recognize or know that it's fear they're feeling that's stopping them from doing certain things. And so that book in, re- in regards to business really, really helped me. I read it back in 2012, I believe. And um, to, to this day, it always changes my life. Whenever I feel something, I always kind of think back on that book and, and just kind of keep it in hindsight. I haven't actually read that book, but you know, it definitely sounds like a book I want to be able to pick up. And I'll make sure that we put that in the show notes as well so far so our listeners can pick up a copy of that. Shifting gears here a little bit, this is kind of a fun topic that I like to talk about is what's the most exciting place that you've traveled or item that you've purchased with the money that you've made up to this point in your life? Wonderful. So Nairobi, Kenya was probably the most interesting country I've ever been to in my life. Just the culture there, the way it's got a unique dynamic. Most parts of Africa that are tourist havens are pretty much have the same thing. You know, it's like nice hotels, nice beaches, and that's where it stops. Nairobi is a different story. It's a mixing pot of cultures. Hundreds of years ago, a lot of people settled in Kenya, like Indians, a lot of countries that border the Indian Ocean. Uh, There's a lot of European influence there. And uh, when I went there, it it was a great time. It was a great experience. And I don't think there's ever been a place I've been to that can match Nairobi, Kenya. Now, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and saw a picture of an Audi vehicle. I thought maybe you were going to say that was one. No, that that was just, um, I, I love to live somewhat frugal. And so when, you know, when things were going well, I was like, you know what, I can, I can go ahead and spoil myself and buy something, you know, just at least one time. And so I bought, I bought an Audi. But, now, uh, it looks like it is an A4. Is that correct? It was a volcanic red Audi A4. Okay, okay. I just saw the front of it, so I was just wondering because I drive uh, an Audi A7 myself, and I used to have the A5, and I tried to switch to a different brand of vehicle, which I won't mention the name, but it was a vehicle I didn't like. I had it for like six months and then got rid of it and got went back to Audi, so I'm a big Audi fan myself. I'm never going to drive anything other than an Audi unless some other car just really, really outdoes you know, what Audi has done. I, I just love the car. I know. I was actually at the uh, Porsche headquarters in Atlanta about a week and a half ago and got to ride in a, in a Porsche for the very first time. I'd never been in one. I mean, of course, I've seen them and I like the body style, but, you know, and it was it was a lot of fun, but I still wouldn't give my Audi up for it. <laughs> That's what's up. That's good. That's what's up. So tell me, what's the next item on your bucket list right now? There's a few things. I guess in my, in my adult life, I've, I've spent a lot of time working. And I haven't really spent time focusing on travel. And so what I, what I want to do is travel to 10 countries that I've never been to before and do that in, you know, sequence, like over a year to where it's like every month or every month and a half, I just spend a year just traveling the world. That's something that I definitely wanted to do to kind of just get away from the hustle and bustle of work and kind of just, just get out there and see what the world has to offer. And I, I think that there's so many cultures, cities, people 
ways of life that we're not exposed to. And I, I just want to make sure why I still have the energy and the health that I can just see things that, the, you know, the average person may not be able to see in a lifetime. Well, you know, it's interesting because this past week we did some more interviews for the podcast. And one of the gentlemen that was on is his name is Jeff Davis. And so if you, you know, I would encourage listeners to go back and listen to his episode. He is actually taking, of course, I look at it and I sometimes go, well, if you're single, it's a lot easier to do. But, you know, this guy's married and has two kids. He's actually selling his car, selling his house. He's traveling for the next year with his family and going to 29 different countries over the next year. I'm jealous. I know, man. When he was talking about it, I was like, that is awesome, man. He was, he was just, she was actually, I just saw him on uh, LinkedIn today. He was selling his, his wife's Mercedes SUV and his Maserati so he can go do this. I think it's great to bring the kids along too, because I think just exposing kids at, at that type of lifestyle or, or, or that type of exposure at such a young age, I think it's going to help them you know, later in their life. I think it helped me a lot being able to, to move around Africa and Europe so many times when I was younger. It just kind of opens up your, your, your mindset. So I think that's great for kids. Yeah. I look forward to doing something similar to that with, I just got to get my wife to, to convince her to maybe want to do something like that. So <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do that. Right, Danae? Uh, I don't know. It would take the right places and right itinerary and you might. You might. Okay. okay. So now we're talking. I got, I got the ball rolling. Tosin. <laughs> All right, Tosin. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time to spend with us today. How can our listeners reach out to you, get a hold of you if they want to kind of, you know, follow you a little bit more or, you know, possibly, you know, maybe, you know, jump on the fund with you once you have some openings? Sure, sure. So I can be found on pretty much all of the social media platforms, LinkedIn, just Tosin Odewale. Same thing on Facebook, same thing on Instagram, Tosin underscore Odewale. You can also send me an email at Tosin at Tulsa Real Estate Fund.com. And yeah, man, I look forward to uh, connecting with a lot of your listeners and seeing what we can do to help each other push forward. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on with us. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate you. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Tough Decisions Network. Be sure to visit toughdecisions.net to gain access to show notes for this episode and to join our free weekly entrepreneur email where we will send you news about the latest technology for your business, inspiring quotes, and the latest books for entrepreneurs. That's toughdecisions.net.